Thank you for listening to the Coal Mind Podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas, and it's September 19th, 2020. The recent death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has triggered an emotional political battle about selection of a successor for her on the Supreme Court before the end of the current presidential term at the end of 2020. In this episode, I look at the ground rules set for this situation by the Constitution and conclude that as difficult as it may be for all of us as voters and citizens, the Constitution envisions and indeed requires precisely such a difficult political battle in a situation such as this. The Constitution sets two ground rules for the current situation about nominating and confirming a successor to Justice Ginsburg. The first, Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution. It says of the President, He shall nominate, and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States, and goes on to give more information about that. Advice and consent of the Senate being the key phrase. Second ground rule, Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution. It says of the Senate, Immediately after they shall be assembled in consequence of the first election, they shall be divided as equally as may be into three classes. The seats of the senators of the first class shall be vacated at the expiration of the second year, of the second class at the expiration of the fourth year, and of the third class at the expiration of the sixth year, so that one-third may be chosen every second year. A third of the Senate is up for election every two years. That was the original intent of the Constitution, and it has been carried forward largely intact since then with no further amendment. The current state of play under the requirements of the Constitution is that the Senate must give advice and consent for a Supreme Court nomination, for that nomination to be confirmed. That has come to mean a majority vote by the Senate in support of the President's nominee. That requires a majority of a group of 100 senators. In practice, that means 50 because the Vice President casts the deciding vote if there is a tie. And of those 100 senators, a third of them, more or less, will be up for election in any given presidential election year. We have recently confronted as a country a similar situation. Justice Antonin Scalia died on a hunting trip in far west Texas on February 13, 2016. President Obama nominated a successor, Judge Merrick Garland of the D.C. Court of Appeals, to fill that vacancy on March 16, 2016. The Senate, which had the obligation to give advice and consent, was then, as now, controlled by Republican majority. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said, The American people should have a voice in the selection of their next Supreme Court justice. Therefore, this vacancy should not be filled until we have a new president. He and others espousing that point of view drew upon statements by, of all people, now presidential candidate Joe Biden, who in a 1992 Senate speech, wasn't a Supreme Court nomination in front of the Senate at that time, but he made the remark that, Once the political season is underway, action on a Supreme Court nomination must be put off until after the election campaign is over, the so-called Biden rule. Merrick Garland's nomination expired when the 114th Congress came to an end at the beginning of 2017. Senator McConnell, in another of his public statements about the situation, summarized very succinctly his view of the Senate's role and power in that situation. Presidents have a right to nominate just as the Senate has its constitutional right to provide or withhold consent. In this case, the Senate will withhold it. That background brings us to today. The long-serving, highly respected Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away on September 18, 2020 at the age of 87. 
There are roughly three and a half months left in the congressional term, roughly four months left in this presidential term. On September 18th, shortly after the news of Justice Ginsburg passing away had become public, Senator McConnell declared President Trump's nominee will receive a vote on the floor of the United States Senate. And the president himself, today, September 19th, said in a tweet, We were put in this position of power and importance to make decisions for the people who so proudly elected us, the most important of which has long been considered to be the selection of United States Supreme Court justices. We have this obligation without delay! Exclamation park. Are those remarks inconsistent with what was said at the time of the Garland nomination? Yes, at some level, to the extent that the Biden rule is the controlling rule, that Supreme Court nominations should simply be off limits during the final year of a presidential term. But that's not the only statement that Senator McConnell made when he referred more generally to the Senate's power to give consent and to withhold consent, he was saying in slightly different words what the Constitution already says. If you have a majority, you have the ability to pass laws that are in your favor, so long as the other parts of the Constitution are consistent with that. Thus, when he refers to the right to give consent and to withhold consent, he is referring to the power that a majority of senators have to vote in a certain way in favor of or against a nomination because they hold a majority. What is the check on that power so articulated? The Constitution answers that question. It's the one-third of the voting group that's up for election any time a Supreme Court nomination will be in play. There's nothing in the Constitution that talks about lame-duck presidencies, special discount for the end of term, or anything of that nature. What it does talk about, though, is the election and who is up for election. And the stakes and issues in this particular election are higher than simply the personal re-election considerations of one-third of the Senate. There are at least two significant ones. The first, the Republican majority is relatively slim in the Senate right now. 53 are a Republican. That could be changed with adverse outcomes for Republicans in a handful of states. Second, there is a practical reality that we face with a vacancy on the Supreme Court right now. It's the possibility of a 4-4 tie on critical Supreme Court cases going into what could be a politically charged and controversial election cycle. We have evidence of this from 2016, when a number of cases reached the Supreme Court and just stalled out because there was no majority to rule one way or another. The cases were then simply dismissed in favor of letting the lower court opinions stand. All of those issues are political ones. The interest of individual senators in being reelected, the interest in maintaining a Republican majority, the interest in avoiding potential paralysis uh, in difficult election cases in the upcoming election cycle. If those are important, voters will care and they will enforce at the polling places what they want done. Potentially, that could cost Republicans their majority. If the Republicans take a position about a successor to Justice Ginsburg that is not palatable to voters in light of those considerations. But if they are not meaningful to a majority of the voters who stand to elect a third of the Senate in this cycle, they will not have force. Republicans will hold their majority and they will be within their rights under the Constitution to name a successor to Justice Ginsburg. The practical effect of what the Constitution tells us about who is up for election at this particular time is to create more battlegrounds than we might otherwise have. Uh, traditionally, in our presidential election cycle, because of our electoral college, we look to states such as Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Florida, states that have large populations and thus large electoral votes, where the electorate is 
fairly evenly divided between Republicans and Democrats. There are now states in the mix where there are senators up for election where there are very close elections, Arizona, North Carolina, Maine, Montana, Iowa, Colorado, and Georgia in particular, of the one-third who are up, are states that, while their presidential race may or may not be particularly close, the Senate race, for whatever reason, is perhaps somewhat closer, and these issues are going to be in play and important to the electorate. The answer, then, to what the Constitution says about replacing Justice Ginsburg in the waning months of a presidential term and a congressional term is that it does not speak to it directly. There is no Biden rule in the Constitution. There is nothing giving Senator McConnell's words during the Garland nomination the force of law. But there is the command that a third of the Senate must be up for election at the same time a president is up for election. That is enough in this context, in this election cycle, to affect both the Republican majority in the Senate and the effective functioning of the Supreme Court as we enter into a potentially disputed set of events that make up our presidential election. If those are meaningful to the electorate, they will influence how the Senate handles the nomination of a successor to Justice Ginsburg. If they are not, the Republican majority will probably confirm the president's nominee because there is ample time to do so in the time remaining in their terms. While politically contentious, it is the answer that the Constitution tells us. It is supposed to be politically contentious because it is so politically important. Today on Coal Mind, we looked at the next three and a half to four months of the remaining congressional and presidential term, in particular with an eye towards the nomination of and potential confirmation of a successor to Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It is a very emotional, intensely political debate and review of the two relevant constitutional provisions suggests that that is exactly what the Constitution tells us to do, to engage in a hard-fought political debate and, as a result of that process, reach a political consensus about how the country should be governed going forward. In a companion episode to this podcast, I lay out the six key dates coming up in the presidential election cycle and lay out some thoughts about how those may or may not lead to legal issues and other political debates. I appreciate you listening. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and now Amazon, as well as the other main podcast directories. I look forward to sharing with you again soon.